on. Turn, there we go. Yeah, good morning, guys. Good to see everyone. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, really, really nice to be together. And if you are a visitor, visitor-ish uh, this, this morning, welcome. Special welcome to you. I hope that wherever you're coming from, uh, our hope is that, that anyone um, can come here, meet some people, uh, hear some things, think a little bit, and experience truth, grace, and ultimately new life through Jesus Christ. Um, they're actually encountering the living God, uh, God who is with us, and he is here with us, and my hope that this morning um, you, would, you would experience that, that we would all grow together, and whether you might consider yourself a Christian or religious or not, uh, let's, let's figure this out together. Um, yeah, my hope is that you would meet Jesus this morning that you would come to know him, that you would trust him, that he would change your life forever, and, uh, and that would be part of your journey. Amen? All right. Guys, we're going to, we're going to open the Bible this morning and continue our, our series through the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it, open it, turn it on, as we say, uh, or you can grab one of our NIV paperbacks out of one of the boxes in either one of the two central aisles. Or, of course, the uh, words will be on the screen. At least most of the text we'll be covering. We're going to jump into Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 42 this morning. And I just want to say one little quick thing. I'm going to do my very best to not overqualify everything, which I have a tendency to do. Um, But just one little qualification. We're going to cover some stuff this morning that is probably going to be a bit heavy, a bit emotional, uh, since we began our study through the book of Mark, since I, I started thinking and praying about it like many, many months ago, outlining the book of Mark, I knew that this passage w- was coming. And it's where Jesus talks about marriage and divorce and a whole lot of other things. And it's, it's heavy stuff. It is pretty heavy stuff. I want to appeal to you. Um, whatever happens, please just don't leave. Like, I'm being serious. Um, we're, we're, we've got to kind of work through some stuff, and at certain points along the way, it might feel like I, I'm, I'm leaving now. I hate this guy, and I'm, I'm walking out of this building. And you might be tempted to do that. I, I hope that's not the case. I'm not trying to like be overdramatic, but um, but we're going to work through some stuff. But I really think that if we can if we can work through this stuff together and trust that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our helper, we can get to the end which must be a place of hope. That Jesus, he he walks us through difficult things, hard truth, so that we might experience more of his faithfulness, healing, hope, grace. Um, So hang with me, just just don't leave. I'll get super insecure. (laughs) All right, Mark chapter nine, starting verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones, child, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him or her if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. We're going we're gonna to come back to that. Continuing on. Chapter 10, verse 1. And he left there, that is, Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? That is the law. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I think we want to stop there. Um, No, sorry. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I wanted to include the the opening and closing portions of scripture because they both have to do with children. And the text that we'll be zooming in on today are are situated right in between uh, a couple of Jesus' most radical uh, words that he spoke regarding children. And I do not think that is a coincidence. So let's talk about marriage, divorce, a family, and God's heart. That's what we're talking about this morning. Let's start with marriage. Marriage. Chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus said, from the beginning. So he's asked about marriage. He's asked about the, the nature, the the permanency, the lasting nature of marriage. Specifically, he's asked about divorce. 
And he says, in the beginning. Let's, let's go back to God's vision for what you're asking me about. In the beginning, and then we can go to, the, oh, there it is. He, he quotes from Genesis 1.27 and 2.24. He says, in the beginning, God created man or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's Genesis 1.27. And the two shall come together, form a new family, and become one flesh. Echad, one. It's the same word that the scriptures use to describe the essence of God himself. God is one. And this is a lasting, faithful, sacred union, one that's meant to reveal something about God, our creator, about our bodies, about love, about family. And because of that, because of the profound magnitude of this sacred union and what it represents, it's a joining together of two souls that must never be broken apart. It's a oneness that is of God. That's, that's profound. That's powerful. That is powerful. Marriage is meant to be a type of picture. He created them. He created us. The two diverse creatures meant to come together in a way such that the very nature of God is imaged in that union. It's like a picture of uh, what we call Trinity, this community that we find, this diverse, unified community that we find in the very heart of God himself, and that is marriage, unless divorce happens. Let's talk about divorce. Chapter 10, 10 verse two, the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful? Not, is it right? Not, is it nice? Not, is it morally acceptable? Is it lawful? Um, they're actually trying to drag Jesus in to a bit of a debate, a contemporary debate that was going on during the, the time of Jesus. Of course, you can read all sorts of interesting commentary on this. I've done it. It is quite interesting, actually. But he says, is it lawful? And of course, they're referring to what Moses had commanded, or at the very least, a concession that Moses made uh, for people who were getting divorced, and it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 24. That should be the next slide. Jesus answered them, um, they said, is it lawful? And Jesus answered them, what did Moses's, uh, Moses say? What did the law command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certif certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. Because of the state of your heart, he allowed for this concession. Um, now again, I, I don't think this is necessarily the time or the place to, to dig deep into the, the nuances of the commentary and we could go Old Testament. I'll simply say this. 
um, when, when we're sifting through some of the, the law, so if you happen to, to be reading Deuteronomy, which is a great read, by the way. It's one of those books that get written off as kind of boring, but there's so much, so much to it that actually reveals like God's compassion for people. And during that time, God's people, Israel, as it were, the, the Hebrews, were, they were doing relationships, they were building families, getting married, getting divorces, only because of the nature of that society and that's some of the ancient, radically patriarchal society that, that simply existed in that time, if you were a woman and your husband decided they were no longer pleased with you, they could just send you away and you were left to fend for yourself. Um, you might as well have just been dead. It was rough. And so God said, no, this, it cannot be this way. Um, if there's one thing that the Bible emphasizes over and over and over is that God looks after the downtrodden. God looks after those whose society would otherwise write off or marginalize, after the weak, after the widows, the orphans, the children, those whose society deems less valuable. So in this society, that would tragically would have been the woman. And so God says, no, you can't just send your wife away. You need to, at the very least, give her a certificate of divorce so that she can remarry. It's, um, it's a very compassionate thing that God is doing. But it's a concession. It's to do with human hearts grown cold, gone hard, that, that God is, is allowing this. And this is what Jesus is addressing. They want to talk about the technicality of the law, the words. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 24, there's a, there's a word there that's very ambiguous in Hebrew and English. Actually, in Hebrew, it's two words. Let me see if I can remember. It's ervat devar. I think that's how you pronounce it. And we translate it in English as an act of, quote unquote, indecency. Like, what does that even mean? During Jesus' time, and this was the debate that was going on, the contemporary controversy, there was a couple schools of thought. There were two rabbis, in fact, that popularized these sort of two uh, opposing views. One was Rabbi Shammai. He was the more conservative, who said the only, the only reason a man could divorce his wife is in the case of sexual morality or porneia or adultery. The other rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, he would have been considered the more moderate or liberal of the two. And he said, look at basically a man or a woman can divorce their spouse for virtually any reason. And apparently there's writings in the, the teachings of a Rabbi Hillel that literally say, if your wife burns the toast, you can send her away. Pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more down with Shammai personally. But this was the debate going on. This was the controversy. This was the confusion surrounding this uh, Deuteronomy 24 reference. And Jesus, he doesn't get into it. He doesn't side with either one of the two views. Instead, he addresses the heart. I want us to take a little sidestep over to one of the other Gospels. 
Um, I've actually resisted doing this as much as possible as we've been studying Mark. Um, But we need to do this. Um, Matthew chapter 5. In fact, Matthew uh, chapter 5 and chapter 19, Jesus talks about divorce. The Matthew 19 is essentially the the parallel reference of this Mark 10 text that we're looking at. But in Matthew chapter 5, this is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, he he declares these, these beatitudes. And then he goes on to say some really profound things about the law and about the heart. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. Uh, Some of you, you'll recognize this. Jesus says, you shall not murder. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, murder is a matter of the heart. It's called hate. Matthew chapter five, verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Adultery is a matter of the heart. It begins as mere fantasy, but I assure you that the actual act of betrayal always begins as lust in a person's heart. Now, usually we kind of stop there. Talked about like murder, hate, adultery, lust. But you know what the next one is? Matthew chapter five, verse 31. You have heard it said, Whoever divorces their spouse, let him give her a certificate of divorce, Deuteronomy 24. But I say to you, if you divorce your spouse, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, then you are responsible for making your own wife or husband commit adultery. Because it's a matter of the heart. Jesus is saying, that divorcing your spouse is like virtually forcing them to go and commit adultery, telling them to go and seek intimacy elsewhere. In other words, he's saying, let's call it what it is. You want to argue over words and moral technicalities, but I'm telling you, like murder and infidelity, the bitterness that ends in divorce begins in the heart. The bitterness that ends in divorce begins in the heart. Let's talk about the heart. Let's not get caught up in the controversy or the debate about what this word means or the other and and, and these sort of conceptions or the exception clause as the theologians like to refer to it as. Let's talk about what's actually going on in the human heart that ends in arguably a a relational breakdown that feels like death. Let's talk about that. Even in a situation where one person is being victimized, he said, except on the grounds of sexual morality, even in a situation where one person is being victimized, like perhaps in the case of adultery or violence or other kinds of gross abuse, where the marriage for all intents and purposes essentially already been terminated by one of the members or turned into something more akin to a kind of domestic enslavement where the abused spouse is now simply being held captive by a person who has no intention of getting help, repenting, turning things around, even in that very, very hard situation. 
I think it still needs to be acknowledged that divorce is the death of something that was born out of love. And it's something to be deeply mourned. Divorce is the death of something that was actually born out of love. And it's something to be mourned. It devastates everyone involved, husband, wife, whoever's at fault. It's usually a mixture. Children, niece, nephew, the little ones, family, society. And it breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. Because everything that comes from God is good. He's the author of life. He's the essence of love. And when something dies that was actually born out of love, no one wins. It breaks the heart of God. Why so extreme? That is extreme. Why does Jesus put divorce in the same short list as murder and adultery? Why do we even have to talk about this? Because this is heavy. You know, I always try to think of at least one or two like pleasant anecdotes that hopefully have some sort of meaning to, to the text to sort of lighten the mood a little bit. For the life of me, I couldn't think of anything. And I thought, no, you know what? Maybe this is it. This is it, my, my moment to just lighten the... Guys, this is, this is what it is. We're talking about something that utterly breaks the heart of God and that goes against God's vision uh, for marriage, for family, for life. This is, this is where, where creation started. He said, now go fill the earth. Not everyone will get married, for sure. It is not the end all and be all of like life and fulfillment. Um, it's, it's tragic that I think many churches for many years have sort of uh, propagated that idea. Man, if, you, if you're not married, you just, you're just, wow, too bad for you. <laughs> but hey, just hang in there, getting by. Like, no, no. Jesus was never married. Jesus was never married. And when I read Jesus, when I follow Jesus through the story of his life, when I look at Mark, when I look at the Gospels, I'm, I'm getting close to a child of God, God in the flesh, fully human and yet divine, experiencing actual satisfaction in this life, in his relationships, in his relationship with his heavenly father, with God. So marriage is not the end all or be all of fulfillment and the happy life, but it's a big deal. In fact, later on in uh, his letter to the Ephesians, the apostle Paul, he's talking about this is Ephesians chapter five, kind of a popular one. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about husbands and wives and what love looks like in the marriage. And then he sort of interrupts himself mid-thought and he says, but you know what? Actually, I'm not even talking about marriage. 
I'm talking about this profound mystery that marriage is actually like a picture of the way God relates to us. It's that kind of relationship. Jesus and his bride, the church. It's powerful stuff. Um, So I've been married for almost 13 years. Yeah, thank you. It'll be 13 years in September. Uh, I remember Shirley and I were having this discussion. She's downstairs um, teaching kids right now. And uh, I thought, wow, has it been 13? I thought it was 12. I lost a year. (laughs) Um, But we had this conversation. And yeah, it'll be 13 in September. And, And I'll say this about that. I would be, I would be incredibly arrogant to stand up here and pass judgment on anyone, any person sitting here who, who has or is going through the, the pain of divorce right now. But by the grace of God, my lovely wife and I are still married. We have a wonderful marriage, and I, I, cannot, I can't say enough to just, just to say how thankful I am, to how, how much I love her, how much God has used our marriage to, to grow us, at least to grow me up. It's a gift. It is an absolute gift, and it's been the hardest thing. And I know most people usually say this. I remember people used to tell me, marriage is hard, marriage is hard, and then I got married, and I'm like, you're liars. Hard is a gross understatement. <laughs> this is insane. And I remember having a mentor. This was back when I was living in the UK. And uh, there was a man in our church there, uh, an older guy. He could have been my dad. I remember I looked up to him so much. I'd go over to his house and I'd see him and his wife interact and I'd see their home and their kids. And I'm like, man, what a model marriage. Love the Lord. And then they got a divorce. And it floored me. And I know it happens all the time. We know that statistically. Like this is a reality. It's a tragic reality. And they went through a divorce. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm no better than that man. I am no better than that man. Not that I'm like, my choices are real for sure. I'm not just kind of like crossing my fingers, hoping that God's going to get me through this. No, I've got choices to make. But I'm no better than that man. And so I just want to emphasize that as we kind of keep going here, that I don't want anyone in this room to think like, wow, how convenient standing on that little platform, passing judgment on me. You have no idea how hard I fought. Jesus didn't come to rub our faces in our sin and brokenness. He came to die for us, to rescue us, to heal us, to give us a chance to start over. There's hope, no matter what has happened. And, and maybe you are mourning the pain of divorce. Maybe you, are, maybe you are mourning the death of something that was actually born out of love. And maybe even as we're thinking about this today and we've read through the scripture, you're thinking, wow, my divorce is perhaps more serious than I ever imagined. And I've never heard anyone say it actually breaks the heart of God, but it wasn't even my fault, but it doesn't actually even matter because it's a death and it needs to be mourned and we need to speak plainly about it. We need to call it what it is so that we can be healed so that you can actually mourn 
right so that you can face the true horror of what it is and receive grace to get back up and get on with the rest of your life. Divorce is the death once was born out of love. It hurts everyone involved. And the bitterness that ends in divorce always begins in the heart. We must call it what it is. We must speak plainly about this. We must deal with it honestly. Because, because a few things, because a few things. Number one, because marriage truly is a gift from God and it's a gift worth fighting for. It's a gift that must be fought for. You might have a wonderful marriage right now. And I'm, that's, that's phenomenal. I'm so happy for you. But unless you're extra, extra, extra special, blessed by God, there might come a day where this relationship is tested. Tested beyond what you think you're even able to, to endure, hold up under. Because uh, you're no better than me. Um, we're no better than each other. But it's worth fighting for. I want to I say this. I want to say it as plainly as I can. Um, and then we'll just move on from this particular point. But if, uh, you know, I've heard it said before. Like, uh, you know, someone might, might come to the pastor hypothetically. And they say, you know, um, things haven't been good. And my wife and I, it's just, it's just not been working out. And... Honestly, like I'm just, I'm kind of over it. We are no longer in love and I've met someone else actually and I, um, I prayed about it and you know, I just really feel a peace. I'm not even trying to be funny and I really feel like this is, like God's giving me the green light on this and I have, I have peace about this. And I would just say as, as lovingly as I could, like you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. God did, said no such thing to you. Yes, I will, I will speak for God right now. He said no such thing to you unless you've invented a new God whose name is not Jesus because the God that I read about in scripture doesn't walk away when things get hard. Unless the person you're in a relationship with has already terminated the relationship, unless they're abusing you, unless it's become a situation that's no longer actually the marriage covenant, but like I said, it's like a domestic enslavement, in which case I would be the first one to say, no, you, I, let me help you get out of this. Let's get you healed, and then maybe we can come back and, and, and ask God for a miracle, a resurrection miracle in this death of a relationship. But if you think that it's okay to simply stop fighting for your marriage because it's become too heavy or intense for you and you think somehow God has condoned that sentiment. You're lying to yourself. It's not true. Marriage is worth fighting for. And my friends, I wanna tell you, I've, I've, I've stared into the abyss. I've come to that place where I thought, I, I cannot for the life of me imagine coming back from this, this place in our marriage. And Shirley would tell you the same thing. And we love each other to death. But we've stared in the, the, the darkness 
I have felt sheer hopelessness in my marriage. And we're just two decent Christians trying to love each other. Like we're actually pretty decent people. Decent. Decent. Shirley's cool. Don't stop fighting for your marriage. Don't, Don't stop fighting. God never, ever, ever stops fighting for us. Because marriage is a gift that's worth fighting for. Secondly, because our little ones matter. The little ones. Jesus' words on marriage and divorce appear right between two of the couple of his most extreme discourses on children. Chapter 9, verse 42. Remember that little bit, that that pleasant little bit that we read at the beginning? Jesus said it would be better for a person to be buried at the bottom of the ocean than to cause one of the little ones to stumble because there will be a judgment. And he says, in fact, you'd be better off cutting off your own hand, foot, or even gouging out your own eye rather than to sin in that way rather than betray the trust of one of the little ones, one of the innocent ones, because the alternative is to burn in hell where the fire will never be quenched. That is so extreme. I don't know if there's any other place in all of the Gospels where Jesus uses such like extreme language. And you'd call it hyperbole? Okay, fine. In fact, I, I would argue he's not saying actually cut off your limbs. That would be to like rip it way out of the context. But the point remains. The little ones. And then he goes on to say in chapter 10, verse 14, the kingdom of God The kingdom that I'm about to inaugurate, Jesus is about to inaugurate, he says, my kingdom belongs to the little ones. The little ones. Guys, when I look around our world and and I, I, I bump up against like brokenness and pain, this is not always the case for sure. But oftentimes that pain would seem has its root deep, deep, deep in some sort of brokenness that happened like way, way back in the day. The little one who needed that person to be there for them, who wasn't there for them, has been carrying a wound, a wound around with them for decades. Guys, we have a responsibility. I think that's what Jesus is really getting at. We have a responsibility to look after the little ones. Stakes are high and he will hold us accountable. And thirdly, this is the last one, because marriage is a gift, because our little ones matter, and because there are so many people, so many broken people in our world who are hurting constantly running, avoiding vulnerability, sabotaging relationships, convincing themselves that this is just the way life is because their little universe was split in two on that one day 20 years ago when mommy said to daddy or daddy said to mommy, today I'm breaking my promise, I can't be bothered anymore, I'm leaving. And there's so many broken people in this world and we have the opportunity We have the chance to be the kind of church. Now I'm talking about us here, our little family, 
our hearts, we have the chance to be the kind of church family where we don't give up on each other, where we do keep our promises, where we don't just leave when it doesn't feel worth the effort anymore. Now, I know you might be thinking like, aha, so you want me to come to your church. This is like a little church attendance kind of, no, no, no. This is like, hey guys, what if we were the kind of family, like the church community, where our relationships uh, mattered such that when broken people come in here, there's actually like a healthy kind of thing happening. Where it's like, as soon as I get close to someone who I feel like, "Mm, maybe I can be vulnerable. And you get vulnerable, and we all know what happens when someone gets vulnerable, right? It's crazy. As soon as someone feels safe enough in a relationship, a family, or a community to actually get like honest about how they're feeling, woo! Crazy town. Great city, crazy city. It's, it's like actual family. It's like real family. People getting honest, people telling you how they really feel, and it's like spectacular. And it, it is no small thing. Can, can, how does the family hold up under the emotional weight of real vulnerability? Like you better hope that, that that little community, that your family has something healthy in the DNA if we're gonna actually bear up when people start getting real, when that pain starts to surface and get all over the place. Now, I'm not saying I want to be like crazy, like dysfunctional church where everyone's just like manifesting on each other. But what if we could be the kind of church where someone comes in, broken as all get out, pain to the core, and they're looking, all right, what's going on here? Is this just people kind of coasting in and out? Or is there something else? It's just like some kind of family where people aren't gonna just leave or write me off when like I start getting anxious or when my pain starts to come out in some really embarrassing ways. What if we could be that kind of church family? What if we could embody the faithfulness of Jesus? Because that's who our God is like. And when his spirit is dwelling within us, when the Holy Spirit is inhabiting a whole family of people, guys, healing is possible. But it does take a a degree of vision. It does take a willingness to sort of evaluate a little bit. Like, where are you at? How is your heart How is our little church family? I, I want to I close on just a, a, a little practical thought. Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed divorce. How's your heart? How do you soften a heart 
that's already growing hard. Can we go to the next slide, please? Derek Price drew that little heart for me this week. I love it. It's a heart that's beginning to petrify. How do you soften a heart that's beginning to get hard? James chapter five, verse 16 says this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Next slide, please. Three things. Uh, Confess your sin. Like acknowledge. Acknowledge what's really going on inside. Acknowledge what you have done. Acknowledge what has been done to you. Like acknowledge the actual pain that you've been trying to just manage for what years, decades. And get it out in the open. Express it. Articulate it. Call it what it is. You feel like you're mourning the death. You feel like an amputee that's trying to like transition into this new life of pain and loss. And you don't know how to do it. Begin by acknowledging it and then and articulating it to someone who will actually listen. And then stay engaged. Stay engaged. Don't leave. Don't leave. It goes for family. It goes for marriage. To some extent, not the same, but to some extent it goes for church. Like we're supposed to be like a kind of family. Like for sure. Once that stuff comes out, you are going to be tempted to the core of your being to run. Get out. It just got real. Don't run away. Sit in your pain and keep talking. Keep getting it out. Don't expect like a whole lot of simple answers. Don't expect someone, hopefully, no one's going to give you like, I got you. Let me tell you what to do. I've been there. I've been there. Here's some advice. Guys, can we please, please, please not be that kind of church? It's so incredibly unhelpful. Stay engaged. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. How do you keep your heart soft? If you could perhaps imagine those three points of like breaking away sort of the, the callous heart, dealing with the hardness that's setting in. What about, what about those who are like, I, I like this. I'm feeling this sort of family thing you're talking about. I, I'd like to be a part of something like that, for sure. Okay, awesome. I'm, me too. Like, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's figure it out. Let's pray along those lines. But what do we do when, like, you're getting vulnerable and you're putting your heart out there and people are, like, just, like, blowing up on you? I got a, I got a text message, like, Monday morning. It was so... I was so hurtful, I almost started crying. I just dropped my kids off at school. I looked at my phone, and this like slightly arbitrary text message from someone I care about and love was like just 
bleh. And I wanted to cry. It was like, God, that is, that is cold. That is cold. And I felt my heart like tighten up. And I thought to myself, how did Jesus like suffer and bleed on a Roman cross and pray for those who are spitting on him and murdering him. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. How do we stay soft when we're dealing with hurting, broken hearts? Next slide, please. Number one, keep receiving mercy and grace from your heavenly father. This is, by the way, this is some free premarital counseling for you. Uh, here's how to destroy your marriage, 101. Go into it thinking that they have what you need, and if only you can extract it from them, you will be happy for the rest of your life. Okay. Some of you are like, what? Like, I thought that's how it worked. Like, like we sort of like sign a contract, and like you give me what I want, and I give you what you want, and if it like works out, we'll stay together. Nope. We need to be those who come confidently before the throne of grace. And we say, Heavenly Father, you have the love that I need. You have the security that I need. You, you, you tell me who I am. You form the identity that I need to actually be a secure, loving person. And we need to learn how to come before our Heavenly Father and get our needs met by him first and foremost, always. That's very hard because God is invisible and mostly always inaudible. And we'll do a whole series on that at some point. Receive. Listen. How does listening keep your heart soft when you're trying to be a part of a community that, that loves hurting people? One of the quickest ways to harden your heart is by to assuming motives and projecting on the people around you. So if someone comes to you, or if someone texts you this like really vile, nasty text message, and you're like, oh, I knew that person was just, it's, he's, he's the devil. You know, I start like just assuming that the reason why they're being so nasty is because like they just, they're just a nasty, evil person. And that's probably not true. They're sinning, to be sure, but where that pain is coming out of is a place of deep, deep hurt and pain. Hurt people hurt people, especially those who allow them to get close to them. But if we'll listen, if we'll suspend assuming why they're acting the way they're acting and actually say, tell me your story. Tell me why you're hurting. Tell me why you're so angry. I want to understand why you're hurting. And then maybe we can walk through that together. We need to be those who listen well to each other and seek understanding. And finally, guys, we can't ever, ever give up hope. If you believe nothing else about Jesus, believe that he will never, ever give up on you. Can we stand together, please? listening to Grace City Portland.